0: GP Insights, a Health Cert podcast, practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice.
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of Health Cert's GP Insights podcast. Today we're talking about cosmetic injectables, particularly dermal filler with Dr. Helena Rosengren, an experienced skin cancer and cosmetic medicine physician based in Townsville. Welcome, Helena, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much,
0: Megan. I appreciate the invitation back.
1: (laughs) Happy to have you and thrilled that you have accepted. So jumping straight in, how long have you been providing cosmetic injectables in your clinic? Uh, We have been providing cosmetic
0: injectables for about 13 years, initially under the umbrella of the skin cancer clinic. And then I set up a standalone clinic five years ago.
1: Fantastic. So obviously there was enough demand for a standalone clinic. Um, So what is that demand like for dermal filler treatments?
0: I think that will depend a lot on your geographical site and whether you're uh, rural or metropolitan. Of course, there's an age demographic, so it depends on what kind of patients you as a practitioner attract. Uh, Generally, fillers are uh, embraced with greater vigor in the younger population and who are also much more likely to post selfies and let all their friends know about you if you are attracting an older demographic then the demand probably will be less because that older demographic don't tend to tell their friends anything and certainly won't post anything up about having fillers. Um, There are also economic factors, obviously, at play. Obviously, through COVID, our clinic closed altogether for three or four months, and then there was a downturn once the cosmetic clinic reopened. um, And Of course, it depends on fear of recession, whether people are saving or spending, whether they've had any handouts from government, (laughs) whether the tax return has just occurred. So there there are lots of factors at play as to how busy you're going to be. Uh, I, I would say generally demand is fairly high, especially in the younger generation, but you do need to be seen. And so advertising really is key as to how busy you're going to be.
1: Uh, Is it one of your more popular treatments? Is it in the top three, for example, or a bit lower for your clinic?
0: For me personally, and what I do within the clinic setting, yes, fillers. Fillers is my role, absolutely, along with threads and jet plasma, I suppose those being the top three.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Which patients are the best candidates for dermal fillers, if there is one? You've kind of touched on this already. And are there any patients you avoid treating? Hmm.
0: Well, I'll talk about the patients that I see that are generally in the 40 to 70 age group, and they're looking for corrections of the effects of aging, such as, um, you know, rubella lines, deep nasolabial folds, marionette lines appearing, um, the buccal commissures needing filling. So for me, a lot of the injections would be upper cheeks, jawline, the marionette line area, um, maybe augmentation of the chin as well, uh, filling the lateral oral commissures. I do a lot of inj- injectables in the infraorbital area for tear troughs. Um, I don't tend to do much lip filler. I find the age group that I attract are really scared of lip filler <laughs> because they see so many young people looking very unnatural. Um, which is fair enough. Um, I do have a group of patients also that I'm treating, maybe uh, for surgical or at- iatrogenic or even congenital defects. So, so I might be correcting asymmetry of a nasal defect from time to time for them, or um, even a defect on a lip, for example, I do see a gentleman who is in his 70s, who as a teenager had radiotherapy to one side of his lower lip that over time has left him with um, quite a defect, a lot of fibrosis and um, atrophy of the soft tissues. So he comes in every six months, I suppose, and has uh, a soft lip filler and really loves the effect of that. I also do restoration of volume, larger areas such as across the cheeks or neck or decolletage, dorsum hands. And there are, I'm not using a hyaluronic acid filler. I'm using a calcium hydroxylapatite filler, so um, Radiesse is, is the uh, common name. Um, and that provides a scaffolding then to rebuild tissue. Um, and that's very popular treatment in Ireland as well.
1: Fascinating. Thank you for sharing um, the concerns that you treat. That's many and varied. <laughs> um, fascinating to hear the specific examples of the gentleman who, yeah, needs repair around yes. his lips. Mm. I'm so glad you can help with that. Are there any patients you would avoid treating? Typically?
0: Oh, yes. That's such a good question, Megan, I think it's really important to screen your patients and to find out what they're really looking to correct. Uh, There is no point really starting down the journey if they have unrealistic expectations, because you will find you end up with a dissatisfied customer and um, potentially a report to APRA or litigation. So it's very, very important that you Really honest with your patients about what fillers will do. Uh, they cannot take back decades and decades, but maybe they can help you to look five or ten years younger. Definitely, um, they're not. They're maybe not going to take away the lines or, or the defects altogether, but they will greatly improve it um, with correct use and repeated filling. Um, So it's, it's very important, really, to sit down with patients and see what their expectations are. If you get that little feeling, I don't know that I'm the right person here, I don't know if I can really assist them, don't embark on treatment, send them somewhere else. That would be my sincerest advice.
1: Absolutely, thank you. And this is the perfect segue into the next question, which is how do you plan out their treatment? Um, What's involved with the initial consultation and the planning process?
0: Well, um, we spend a lot of time really talking about their concerns and, and i listen here. I leave space for them to really describe what it is that they're after and what they're not liking. I find very often the patients will actually touch their faces. A mirror helps. They'll pull back their cheeks. They'll show me exactly what they're after and what they want. I go on to take photos fairly early on in the consultation, and I'll do photos um, on the diagonal and off the side profile as well. So they get 180-degree um, view of their face, which is, after all, how other people see, see us. Um, The patients themselves will normally only see that front-on image. And that can give them a lot more insight about where some of the defects might be, that I can assist them in a planning protocol. We then really sit down and draw what we might do. I, I myself have a drawing Tool on the iPad that I'm using to take the photos, and so I, with that, I will fill and I will show them on the areas that we might be treating, and I can do a screenshot of this that can be sent to the patient later. Uh, if you don't have access to that, you could simply use a, a mannequin template on your normal A4 sheet and and fill that in on of on the um, front view and side profile. And then I think it's really important to get some feedback from the patient. You know, is is this what you're after? Is this what you're looking for? What actually concerns you the most? Where would you want to start? And in making that decision, they're actually going to need to know the cost. We'll sit and cost it out and then come up with a realistic plan for them. The total treatment plan may take part over a number of months, depending on their budget or they may want to just go straight into it. Now, obviously doing this is gonna take some time. It probably takes me half an hour, and I may not have time then to do the injectable straight up. Um, if they're very keen for something, I will generally do some small filling. For example, um, the, um, I don't know, the frown lines or something like that. That's, that's fairly quick to do, so they can at least feel they've embarked on the treatment plan get a feeling for me as a practitioner as well, uh, so that they're not overly worried about what's coming up. Um, At some point, too, before we embark on this plan, they need to know what side effects are, what to expect, to know that bruising and some swelling is, is obviously to be expected after a filler, and then if it doesn't occur, that's a real bonus. And we need to talk about some of the... Uh, potentially more difficult um, side effects or reactions that patients can have too, so that they are aware that there's other problems. I, I probably won't go into the full process of the consent until the day that I'm giving the fillers, um, but I'll certainly touch on it ahead of time.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Now... How do you know when a patient has had enough dermal fillers? Do you have any tips for helping patients and practitioners achieve a more natural and subtle look rather than the dreaded overfilled look?
0: Yeah, that's such a difficult one, Megan. That is something that comes with time. I think generally maybe practitioners who are catering to a younger audience Um, They will be pushed towards the overfilled look because it's what um, many younger ladies actually are searching for. Uh, But that older demographic that I'm looking after definitely don't want it. They will articulate that that's what they're afraid of. They do not want others to know they've had fillers. Um, They want a very natural look. So my advice would be that you just start gently And it's better for the patient to come back two or three times to get filling um, rather than to overdo it the first time. I think also diluting your filler a little bit with um, some preserved saline is helpful because fillers do absorb a lot of water. And um, if you put it in there straight away, you've got more of a realistic Uh, impression of what that filler is going to look longer term. Otherwise, the filler will become more and less obvious according to the patient's hydration. I think that's been a really good tip for me over the years. Um, And then with time, with experience, it'll simply come. And, of course, your patient will have different expectations, Um, as I've already touched on with that age demographic, Some patients want a more defined look and some patients are after something very much more natural. So I think touching base with the patient is is very, very important.
1: Absolutely. Set those expectations early and often. Are there any adverse events that a practitioner should be aware of before performing dermal fillers on a patient? Mm, It's
0: vital to be aware of adverse events. And also to have taken the patient through it and have them properly consented. It must be on your consent form. So, um, the most important adverse event is injecting into a vessel inadvertently, which might cause uh, skin necrosis. More importantly, if you're injecting in that um, infraorbital area, blindness and even TIA or stroke, you know, CBA, has been a potential problem with injectables. Um, So what do you need to do? As well as being aware of that adverse event, how can you reduce it? It's really important to mostly use cannulas wherever you do injectables absolutely in the inforbital area, but I tend to use cannulas almost everywhere, unless I'm injecting very superficially um, you know, in, into dermis, depending on, on the filler or just dermaline. Um, you need to make sure that you've got plenty of hyaluronidase on board. And honestly, with the hyaluronidase, you, you often need several vials, if you were to get a blockage of a vessel, to dissolve that embolus of filler that you have in the vessel. Um, and so make sure that it is in date and available in your practice. Um, I would have a plan of what to do if you were to get this adverse event, share your phone number with the patient. The good news is that if it were to happen, usually you're aware of it pretty quickly within 30 minutes but sometimes a patient might think that this is bruising and it may not really understand that this perhaps isn't normal for 12 hours or longer. So it, it could be delayed before you actually know about it. The second most important adverse event is hypersensitivity. That could be immediate, which is within minutes or hours. Um, and it's worse, hypersensitivity can lead to anaphylaxis. So it's important that we obviously monitor this patient closely if we think they've had a hypersensitivity reaction. Generally, there's just um, redness and swelling, which can be treated with antihistamine steroids. Um, then we get the delayed reactions. So these may be delayed Weeks or uh, months, and sometimes they're very delayed, so that you can get this reaction occurring three to six months after your injection. And here we get redness, tenderness, uh, palpable swellings under the skin. Um, and it's really important, obviously, to handhold. Um, we're not really sure why people get delayed reactions. We, Immediate reactions are IgE-mediated, but the delayed reactions, we don't really know. It doesn't seem to be related to infection from your filler or um, allergy. Uh, Though there is some hypothesis that at times it could be because people have had infection at that site or previous trauma at that site, or maybe something to do with the injection technique the properties of the actual filler that you're using. Um, so, here there's a lot of hand holding, antihistamines again, patients don't respond at all within 48 hours, maybe a course of steroids. And maybe uh, if there's then isn't any response, uh, you actually dissolve the filler. Um, you can go on to put another filler in once everything has settled down, if the patient's happy to do that. Those are the two most important adverse events that the patient needs to be aware of. And if they're unlucky enough for these to happen, they will forgive you if you have warned them about it. Like, it's really not your fault. But if they have no warning, that's when you'll have unhappy customers.
1: Absolutely. Those are some important takeaways and lots of practical tips there. Thank you. Last but not least for today, do you have any advice for a practitioner who is interested in starting out offering dermal fillers? For example, how they could set up the services to run efficiently and how they can market the treatments to their patients?
0: Mm. I don't think this is a decision you make one day and then you find the next month. There's you're successfully running a cosmetic clinic and providing a lot of fillers. It does take a lot of training. So I myself worked under the umbrella of our skin cancer clinic for maybe nine years and gradually exposed myself and did a lot of training over that time. My injectables journey, did start with um, muscle relaxants, so neurotoxins. Um, and, and then went on to fillers. So I think get lots of training, watch lots of videos, um, get a preceptorship if you can, work alongside somebody uh, and then start doing those injectables on people that you know really well who are going to be more forgiving, maybe an older demographic. Uh, perhaps initially you don't charge as much uh, because you're really finding your way here. The things that you've talked about, Megan, not overfilling and um, really discovering techniques for yourself. It's, it can be quite a jump from watching a filling technique to actually doing it, um, depending on what you're doing, obviously. Um, and then make sure that you're really safe. Have the cannulas, have the hyaluronidase, once it comes to having that initial base of experience and some customers and feeling confident with your filling technique, then I would start to advertise. And the ways we ad- advertise, so Facebook and Instagram, are excellent mediums for advertising, um, especially actually with this older demographic who don't talk to each other, but they, they see it on Facebook then they will be aware, they need to be aware that the service is even there. Um, It helps them to have real before and afters. That can be very difficult because many of the patients in this age group, at any rate, don't want Their photos going live or viral, um, but it's worth asking all the patients that you see because you will be surprised. Some don't mind at all. Occasionally, you will be surprised. So, uh, and they're gold. They're liquid gold. They're really helpful to keep those before and afters to show others. Um, I think also if you do already have a skin cancer clinic and you're branching out, or you know, or perhaps a general practice. Another clinic that you're working in, you're branching out into this field, you can obviously advertise in house as well with leaflets, or if there's a running PowerPoint about the practice, you can put some slides in here about the service that you um, now offer. Um, And if you do have um, an EDM, so you're sending emails out regularly to your patient group that's another way that you can let them know this is a new service and let it infiltrate uh, slowly um, and then build that practice but it it is a journey I think it probably depends a lot on where you live for us for us it has been a journey to build the practice um but yeah it's been successful
1: Wonderful. Thank you again for sharing your time and experience with us, Helena. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much, Megan. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpcert.com. Liquid gold and really helpful to keep those before and afters to show others. Um, I think also if you do already have a skin cancer clinic and you're branching out or you know, or perhaps a general practice or another clinic that you're working in, you're branching out into this field, you can obviously advertise in-house as well with leaflets or if there's a running PowerPoint about the practice, you can put some slides in here about the service that you um, now offer. Um, and if you do have um, an EDM, so you're sending emails out regularly to your patient group, that's another way that you can let them know this is a new service and let it infiltrate uh, slowly um, and then build that practice. But it, it is a journey. I think it probably depends a lot on where you live. For us, for us it has been a journey to build the practice. Um, but, yeah, it's been successful.
1: Wonderful. Thank you again for sharing your time and experience with us, Helena. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much, Megan. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more and please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpcert.com.